I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Um, what's up, Megan? Or wait, no, what's up? What's up, dog? No, that's not <laughs> how you say it. Uh, you can't do it either. Have you had any good up dog? <laughs> A valiant attempt, but... <laughs> Very much like Michael Scott. And I feel like you were genuinely trying, though. I was genuinely trying, um, but I didn't plan it out very well. (laughs) You got to really plan those things. Well, we're going to have to talk about Updog a lot, of course, because today we are doing season two, episode 13, The Secret. But before we get into it, Tyler, do you have any revisions and regrets this week? Um. Yeah, I do. Just one. In the last episode, we didn't really talk about uh, the scene where um, Michael is like basically claiming that nobody else can understand what it's like to have a disability and Phyllis is having scoliosis. (laughs) Yeah. And he says, never heard of it. Uh (laughs) Like it doesn't count. And and then uh, he says, I don't mean women's troubles. Women's troubles. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I regretted not talking about that because there were a few, there were a few little beats in that scene that I thought were really funny, but, um, I think I made some generalizing gender claim about when people (laughs) get sick. I felt really bad about that later. Uh, you know, I, I really did not mean to enforce any, uh, gender normativity on the other hand was trying to talk about how the show might be (laughs) commenting on it. I don't know. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. I really regretted, um, basically participating in the whole podcast. Uh, (laughs) I love it because when you mentioned the thing about gender and illness, (laughs) I'm probably going to have to come back to this in revisions of regrets. It's been bothering me every day since we recorded. I was like, oh, I should. I don't think you were making a claim about some kind of fundamental essence of men and women (laughs) And getting sick, I think you were making a claim that's about certain cultural patterns, um, you know, that are probably learned in some way. And I, I think there was some validity to that. Did you have any other uh, revisions or regrets? I actually did have a revision. This comes from my brother-in-law, Nick. I've, I've got, got to say, I get some really good input from the brothers. Um, he clarified for me that the thing I called on the ship the captain's closet is actually called the bridge. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the bridge, which I probably should have connected from watching. Um, what's that ship based reality show? Below deck. Below deck. Below deck. Yeah. Yeah. But so he connected that for me that even when it appears to be the small captain's closet and it's not on a mega yacht, it's called the bridge. Interesting. Yeah. Well, then what is the area where? The captain is like commanding the ship called. This is a good question. And we might, well, I think here's one of the confusing things about that ship. What was that ship called again? The something princess? Can't remember. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the, the booze cruise boat. One thing that was confusing to me is that Jack is the captain. But then there's another guy who's actually driving. Remember Remember when there's the shot of Dwight who thinks he's steering the boat and then it kind of pans up and there's another guy who's actually steering it who is not Captain Jack. So like there's somebody who's in charge of maybe that guy's an engineer or maybe the first mate. 
uh, Nick, if you're listening, please yeah. call in. <laughs> please call in and, and explain how ships work to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole breakdown. Yeah, who like who's captain, who can actually steer the ship, what all the parts are, all that stuff. But anyway, it's called the bridge. That's fascinating. Uh, I did not know that, and I'm and I'm glad I've learned something today. Yeah. It's also yeah. reminding me too how much I like horror movies that take place on ships. And I feel like there's not enough of them. I I could use more ghost ship uh, and other, you know, anyway, it's hmm. a, for our separate podcast, Horror on the High Seas. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm realizing we need to talk about Below Deck sometime. Yeah, yeah, we've got a number of side projects and okay. Below Deck should be one of those. <laughs> but anyway, shall we get into the secret? I think we should. Um, okay. Uh, I have two summaries here. All right. Desperate to keep Michael from spilling the beans about Pam, Jim puts up with a trip to Hooters. <laughs> the second summary, Jim tries to make sure that nobody in the office finds about it, uh, finds out about his crush on Pam. But the problem is he's already told Michael. This leads to a trip to Hooters for some damage control. Wow. Interesting. Okay, well, I looked up, I have the official summary, so I know which it is, but I almost wish we had a game where I had to guess what it was. So the first one, the shorter one, is the official NBC. Fascinating. Summary. Um, oh, I guess you don't know, because you looked them up and you just found two, right? Yeah, I didn't know. Oh, man, I should have asked you that question then. Well, the okay. first one is better, like, by far. The first one's way better. What do you think makes it better? I totally uh, it's not just that it's shorter. I think starting the word with desperate definitely captures Jim's state in this mm. episode. And then also Jim puts up with a trip to Hooters captures, you know, part of what's going on here, as opposed to this leads to a trip to Hooters for some damage control. Cause that sort of implies <clears throat> that Jim like initiates it or something mm -hmm. like that. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on these? This, could you, so I've got the, so the NBC one, the one sentence, desperate to keep Michael from spilling the beans about Pam, Jim puts up with a trip to Hooters. So that's our one sentence. Can you read the other one again? I need it fresh. Jim tries to make sure that nobody in the office finds out about his crush on Pam, but the problem is he's already told Michael. This leads to a trip to Hooters for some damage control. I think this really shows how concise writing can be so much more powerful right? I think has so many extra words in it mm -hmm. like the problem is that he has already told Michael this leads to it's just it's just really baggy it's got like a lot of useless stuff in it um so yeah I am definitely for summary number one yeah you could just cut it and say but he's already told Michael you don't need yeah. what the problem is right and, and also yeah tries to make sure that nobody in the office like yes uh how about jim doesn't want anybody in the or i don't know there's <laughs> yeah um yeah anyway um so we start out with uh the what's up dog yeah <laughs> okay yeah so let's talk about this yep this is the thing the joke that you were attempting <laughs> to tell. so let me read the opening lines so it begins on um, jim and pam at the reception desk 
And Jim is just saying nothing much. What's up with you? And then Pam says, I can't believe I fell for that. And she's laughing. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was so fascinating because they're starting from the bad punchline, basically. And they're missing the entire setup. So like, it doesn't give us Jim asking Pam at that point, does it smell like updog in here? He doesn't do the setup part. It's just the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's not until Michael comes in and Michael says, haha, what? Where's the funny? Give it to me. And then Jim asks him, is it me or does it smell like updog in here? And then Michael says, what's up, dog? And then Jim says, nothing much. What's up with you? Which is the exact same line he said to Pam. But now we've got the whole lead into it, the setup. So I thought it was such an interesting way of kind of taking apart the joke and starting with just the end and then circling back to give us the beginning. I love that point. I was wondering if you think certain versions are more likely to compel a response. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Because Because this is what does it smell? Is it me or does it smell like updog? It does seem like a really good way of trapping you into asking like, well, what would that be? So then I can know whether it smells like that. (laughs) Yeah, that Uh, is a good one. As opposed to, is that jacket made of updog? I actually Um, love that. (laughs) (laughs) Jacket made of (laughs) updog. Yeah, it's or what flavor coffee is that up dog? <laughs> <laughs> because maybe it's partly that smells are so uh, non-tangible. Like Stanley maybe feels confident, not specifically about what his jacket is made out of. <laughs> and Ryan <laughs> knows that the coffee is an up dog, or those ones just make it more like what the hell are you talking about rather than what is that particular thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that would be an interesting experiment to run I feel like to try it on a massive population with a variety of starting like opening lines and see what is most successful this is so I'm about to like you know really really lose all our uh listeners in the social sciences but (laughs) i do feel like they could get like the they could get millions of dollars to fund this pointless study (laughs) (laughs) whereas we ask for like you know just a couple hundred dollars for books or whatever and it's like no 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 no, your research doesn't have uh legitimacy (laughs) but they can they can get anyway (laughs) i'm not bitter i'm not bitter about these sociologists (laughs) but i think you're right i think that they totally could do that study (laughs) um did you have anything else to say about this opening uh, before we jump into the spring cleaning i'm I'm, i i mean i thought it was good i thought it was this episode for me has like a little looser Mm -hmm. more relaxed kind of vibe it felt like even the ending is kind of like loose and not downbeat but just like this felt to me very much like we're hanging out with these characters Mm -hmm. kind of an episode and uh, i felt like this opening kind of established that like it was a little yeah I like that. not baggy like it didn't drag but just kind of um like we actually run into a bunch of the characters in the opening which was interesting to me so yeah you're right you do there's that moving around the office and all the people in the opening I guess just the final thought about it is that I thought it was a really interesting way to make something that is a very stale worn out 
stupid kind of joke into something really, really funny. Yeah. And that was in the way that they broke it down. And then Michael's love for it and his failure to execute it. One moment there that I just really loved too is when, so after Jim says to Michael, nothing much, what's up with you? He's gotten through the whole joke. Michael pauses for a second as he's kind of processing what happened. And then his eyes light up and get huge. And he looks at the camera and says, oh, wow, I walked right into that. Oh, that's brilliant. And he's just got these wide eyes and he is so happy to have this. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, I also like it when he he tries again and again and again. And then when Dw he actually gets Dwight to say, what's up, Doug? And then he says, gotcha. And so he like, he can't control himself. And so he messes it up and then he kind of shakes his head in incredible disappointment and storms into his own office. So there was just such range for Michael in that scene that I thought it was really good. It also sets up <clears throat> to, I mean, we've long been talking about Michael as like a would-be comedian, right? And so <laughs> <laughs> um here we have that but we also like have been teasing out that like Jim's primary attraction to Pam is that she's like does jokes or whatever yeah, like, yeah. I think he even says in this episode that she has a great sense of humor or something yes um, That's what he likes about. so it's interesting that she it starts with her like basically laughing at one of his jokes mm -hmm. um, and then that's gonna carry forward in the episodes kind of like will they, won't they, you know, does he still yeah. like her or not? I have a lot of questions for you about Pam's state of mind in this episode, but. I have a lot of questions about that too. So it's spring cleaning at Dunder Mifflin. Um, spring cleaning day. Yeah. In January. So it's not spring. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight um, is walking around the office, giving out the assignments. Yeah. I felt bad for, um, was it uh who gets urinal cakes was it meredith yeah that one is rough why did he give that to a woman <laughs> we really get to see how uh dim-witted dwight is by the end of this episode um but yeah dwight is um he's like displeased that uh that uh oscar is out sick mm -hmm. and also, we, you know, I, I did really enjoy this moment where he's like, that's unacceptable. And Angela's like, I agree, it's unacceptable. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we see the little connection between them. Their primary attraction is rule following. Yeah. <laughs> rule enforcing and judgment. Um, yeah, rule enforcing. That's right. We get a lot of Dwight and his experience as a volunteer sheriff's deputy. <laughs> <laughs> so they call... Oscar I have to say I misremembered this scene like I'm pretty sure I've seen this before and for some reason I thought that when uh Oscar gives his symptoms over the phone that Dwight in my memory it was like he's like oh he has cancer or something like that like I thought it was going to be like oh. a worse diagnosis like it was really serious yeah yeah because I feel like that's the joke about WebMD is like you google your symptoms and then you're like you're dying or whatever oh that's a good point you don't google you don't you really get on WebMD for like a cold or a flu he says he thinks he came down with the flu uh yeah 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 I think that was so funny too because as Oscar describes his symptoms and Dwight is typing into WebMD and looking it up, Dwight goes, it checks out. <laughs> like, 
of course those symptoms check out. It just is. <laughs> I thought the way that he bought into that was great. Um, Michael also, I wanted to talk a little bit about Michael's desk because mm. this is where we're first in his office with him. And first of all, Michael, Michael has explained the purpose of it, why he does it in January. So in spring, you don't have to do anything. And he says that a a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. And when Dwight goes in there, Michael is reading the newspaper and drinking coffee and his desk is so cluttered, (laughs) covered in his little toy type things like his mini pool table his oversized pen I think he has sometimes had an oversized pencil and sometimes an oversized pen um his little truck all kinds of stuff but his desk is just completely covered in clutter and yet he's doing nothing (laughs) in that office yeah I I don't know man his uh he doesn't practice what he preaches I guess unless (laughs) unless by the end of the episode he's gonna be but he doesn't spend much time cleaning at all. Right. We should have kept better track of his desk at the beginning and at the end. Yeah, Ooh. I didn't think to do I'm going to have to come back to that. Definitely. Okay, so come back to the desk scene. Um, yeah, I feel like I didn't do uh, forensic research on this episode, like the last one where we were, I was mapping um, trips to and from Scranton. In this one, really good like, analysis. I really was like, wait, I, I really got off on a tangent in my head around the rules around Hooters. Like, I was like, what are the labor laws here? Is this really their birthday song? Um, yes. If there are Hooters in Scranton. I meant to look all that up and I failed you. So, oh, um, that's a that's a good question. Yeah. Is there a Hooters in Scranton? Because that would allow us to know. And I guess we have to check was there a Hooters in Scranton in like 2006? Yeah. But, yeah. We have to um, track, what was I just going to say? Oh, yeah, because then we could see how far it is and how much of a time commitment they made to getting to Hooters, which I never would have thought of if you didn't if you didn't bring this the last time. This is going to be in our revisions and regrets next time. So, uh, okay, so they call Oscar. I Well, okay, so, okay, so the title of the episode is The Secret, the joke in part being that... Um, like Dwight doesn't get that Oscar's gay and mm-hmm. instead thinks that he's just been lying about being sick. And so he's yeah. going to keep that secret. Yeah. Um, but of course it's also about the secret that Michael can't keep mm-hmm. around, you know, whatever. But I, for some reason thought that the Oscar plot was going to matter more or something. Like it was an interesting way of revealing Oscar's queerness. Mm-hmm. Have we, seen any indication prior to this episode have i just missed it has there been anything i don't think so what an interesting way to like yeah i don't i i i I, yeah we really got to unpack that like to yeah so let's start yeah let's go let's go with oscar's plot line because i feel like we have the beginning but i want to bring the end in of that too and your point about the title the kind of doubleness of the title and it being both about jim's secret and about oscar's secret has interesting parallels then with the way they named the injury too. And it being mm. on one level, Michael's injury, but then really about Dwight's injury um, underneath that. Yeah, so they, Dwight, well, first of all, I guess one thing about, because Dwight is um, on the surveillance mission to track Oscar, 
which he spends the whole day doing instead of cleaning. But just one thing I noticed when he goes up to Ryan, the temp, to tell him his assignment or basically like to ask him what he's going to do. He says, listen, temp, I'm conducting a little investigation. And that's when he's going to give him his job. But when he's saying that he's doing this investigation, oh yeah, because he wants Ryan to take the clipboard and like organize things, Mm -hmm. which interesting choice. He goes to the temp. But um, when he goes over to Ryan's desk to tell him about this, he pulls this tiny notebook out of his chest pocket and he flashes it really quickly like it's a police badge, Mm -hmm. which I just thought was such a hilarious move. It's like that tiny notebook means nothing, but you're just kind of fulfilling the, uh, I don't know, the moves of the police drama or something. Well, and he's also a volunteer sheriff's deputy, as we learn. On the weekends. Mm -hmm. Surveillance for years. And one of my favorite lines in the whole episode is one time I suspected an ex-girlfriend of mine (laughs) of cheating on me. So I tailed her for six straight nights. Turns out she was uh, with a couple of guys, actually. So mystery solved. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why that is so funny to me other than like it's another instance of like his kind of I don't know like total obliviousness or something um yeah. to what he's saying uh it's funny how he frames that too as professional surveillance right <laughs> maybe it's more like a you know personal investigation possibly personal stalking um but yeah Dwight is a real a real professional. When he first goes to Oscar's house, it is light out. I am wondering oh, how yeah. long he sits there because it is dark by the time <laughs> that Oscar gets home. So let's talk about that because this gets to Oscar's secret too. Yeah. So Oscar drives home. He gets into his driveway with Gil. I think Gil's adorable, by the way. I do too. Yeah, he's cute. Isn't he cute? Um, so first of all, that Dwight drives, from, his car is sitting in the street right across from the house, that he drives into the driveway. To yes. There's something so ridiculous <laughs> and aggressive about it, but also it's yeah. so slow. He pulls in so slow and delicately <laughs> that it's not like that threatening or anything. It's just, it's so awkward. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's so drama. I wonder and if he has bumper fixed. From Gil's point of view, he's like, who's this? And you really get the impression that he's like, wait, are you cheating on me? Or I mean, we don't know whether yes. the nature of Gil and Oscar's relationship yeah. Uh, yeah. at all. So we don't know, you know, is it an open relationship, a closed relationship? Have they been together a long time? Like, or not? Is there, uh, is it, you know, is it a relationship? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But I definitely got the vibe that he was kind of like, who's this like uh like mm-hmm. a suspiciously which was yeah. interesting too it's like Dwight doesn't realize that he's now also sort of like in a di- like he thinks he's in one story but he might also yes be a story. <laughs> yes yes that's so true I love that because and when he comes out he says you are so busted oh man shopping bags ice skates I think I know what's going on here you weren't sick at all <laughs> So, okay, ice skates, were they skating? And if so, where? Is there, uh, that's something else I gotta look, because my mind was like, oh, did they go down to the city and like 
you know, for some reason I pictured them ice skating like in New York City or something at Rockefeller Center, but yeah, like a romantic skate. Yeah, but there's probably a skating rink in Scranton. I don't know why yeah. I would assume I that, but they might have both like the local skating rink, you know, where there's figure skating lessons and the hockey team. Oh yeah, they definitely have a skating rink, actually. I know that from a future episode. Oh, okay. There's one of those, you know, cute little outdoor skating rinks. But I thought it was interesting how there are these sort of gay-coded items that he has that you sort of think that Oscar is reading these sort of these, or you think that Dwight is going to be reading these kind of stereotypical items of figure skates. And, you know, because they're not hockey skates, right? Like they're figure skates and shopping bags. Um, But yeah, he thinks he has just caught, um, he has just caught Oscar for not being sick. And I kind of wondered about Oscar's experience in that moment too, and what he is thinking that Dwight is onto and what he's thinking that Dwight is going to tell Michael. And then it turns out, you know, to be that he wasn't sick. And the sort of relief in that. It's interesting that, well, I did have questions about um, like what, well, what are they watching on television and why does Dwight go inside? Like <laughs> yeah, they invite him in and say, well, come on in, you're here. Or was that like, did he invite himself in or, you know? Yeah. Is, is that, that part of their kind of negotiation? Because Dwight ends up keeping the secret. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because the secret ends up being for Dwight. The secret is that, um, Oscar was not sick and he keeps it yeah yeah which is interesting because Michael can't do that but also he isn't aware of the other well I guess that begs the question like is it is is Oscar's queerness a secret or not like Mm -hmm. because it's not one that he's keeping like from the camera or something like that yeah that's a great point like they reach out and hold hands like behind Dwight. So I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just an interesting. I wish I had like more thoughts about this, but like yeah. it was just interesting that his queerness is not a big deal. But on the other hand, it's not really allowed to be a big deal because the character who discovers it doesn't understand or recognize it. That yes. in of itself is funny and interesting because it de de dramatizes yes. the closet, and arguably there is not. I guess to some extent you could argue there's not much of a closet here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like the only the only closet is Dwight's stupidity, non-awareness. You know, like it's it sort of feels like it's not on Dwight's radar. Yeah, that Gil would be anything more than a friend who he goes ice skating with. Um, and I thought you're right. It's really interesting because it seems like there's a lot of drama in kind of an outing plot and um this was I think this would also read a little bit differently now but yeah yeah, that idea there's a kind of expectation I think at this point that sexuality is a secret and that you know like to be queer is a secret that is always sort of at risk of being exposed right and the fact that it it does expose it to viewers, but it does not, um, like it does not make an outing plot of it. It does not give any drama to that. Like that is not the big reveal. It just sort of, I don't know, becomes 
a part of the context or something that doesn't even really matter. It's interesting as a as a as a counterpoint to Jim trying to contain the open secret of yes. his desire for Pam, which mm-hmm. we've talked about. And I mean, to me, actually, it was like a big quest narrative question. It's like, what does Pam know or not know? What does she think mm-hmm. or feel about his interest in her? But like one way or another, at the end of this episode, she knows that, you know, he very recently, if not still, is like really into her. So yeah. Um, anyway, but but anyway, it, I, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, that's it's interesting then how it makes a thing where. I don't know, it makes me wonder about what are the boundaries on when straight desire is itself a secret. Yeah. Where it's not kind of like categorically made to be secret, right. but much of it is about secrecy. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Until certain conditions are met or something, and then you can be open about it. Yeah. And I guess in the, that's why I've like always been kind of interested in what would it what would this story be if she wasn't engaged? Because mm-hmm. it's the engagement, presumably, that makes the desire have to be like hidden or secret, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. if she wasn't, what? How would it play out? You know, in the same way, yeah. it's like, could they just go on a date or have sex already, and then 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 they could be friends, or like, what? You know, what are the other possibilities here? But they mm-hmm. it definitely the show makes it as if if she were to find out, it would be this rupturing knowledge. But that's because of the um the engagement or whatever yeah but as michael has taught us engaged ain't married yeah that's right um one last a couple of last bits on oscar and then i want to yeah zoom back uh but Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting to think about this his we get kind of queer domesticity you know it's like uh you know queers hate work just like you do and they just (laughs) want to just want to shop and watch TV and not go to work, you know, and, um, and, uh, and it's sweet, right? Like it's a sweet moment of holding hands on the couch or whatever. It's just interesting to put that in juxtaposition to Michael's kind of like puerile sexuality, or he's trying to say the word breast in Hooters or something. And, uh, Yeah. yeah. So I just found that interesting as a way to sort of like, it doesn't make, yeah, I don't know. Queerness yeah. here is like it's it's domestic, it's mundane, it's um it's yeah, and it's not like a big deal. Uh yeah, that's so I hadn't thought to compare it to Michael, but I think that's such a good idea because it shows that actually this is a kind of relationship that Michael would envy in a lot of ways. Not that he would necessarily see himself envying a relationship between two men, but you know, he buys that condo that he wants to fill with his family that he doesn't have. And I think for him, having somebody that you can go home to and hold hands with and watch TV with would be lovely. And Michael, okay, so, because we got to circle around to Michael's bad secret <laughs> keeping, but Michael thinks secrets are about friendship. Dwight yes. thinks secrets are about leverage and power. Mm-hmm. And um, so oh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And because Dwight thinks it's about leverage, he's good at keeping the secret presumably i mean the episode yes but michael is bad at keeping the secret um partly because he's just like um 
an idiot. But also, I, I don't mean to be jumping around so much, but it was just very interesting to me that the reason the secret comes out is because he doesn't want to pay for lunch. Like he wants it to be comped. And he's like, the you know, I can't, I mean, I, he's, uh, he's in danger of revealing it anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it comes out because he's like, no, Jim was really down and I had to bring it. I had, this yeah. was definitely a business expense. And I was like, you yes. bastard, like just buy him lunch and have a friend. Like, but he, he's too like yes. selfish to anyway. Yeah. I don't he know. told Jim too, when he invited him to lunch, he said, my treat. Yes. I don't think it counts when it's on the Dunder Mifflin uh, credit card. But okay, so Michael, so I was thinking a lot about the question you raised last time, and this was in relation to Pam, wait, uh, Pam and Dwight. And it was a question of basically what is friendship and kind of what are the parameters. And so I was thinking about how friendship is socially defined, how do characters transition into friendship, what are the signifiers or the kind of signs that define the relationship all of that stuff I feel like we really really get with Michael and Jim here because Michael is all about having this secret and in that being Jim's friend yeah he says here Jim and I are great friends we hang out a ton mostly at work But the fact that he, that man, I got to tell you though, that one got me. I was like, cause when COVID hit and we didn't go to work anymore, I suddenly felt like, oh, like I'm really lonely. And I was like, oh no, like, are my friendships mainly like just hanging out at work? Like, is, am I Michael Scott? Anyway, uh, moving past that. But the fact uh, that he told me his secret and no one else knows says everything about our friendship. And it is why I intend on keeping that secret for as long as I possibly can. I love this the bit of self-awareness here that he knows that he is not going to be able to hold it forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that he is going to cling tightly to that secret as long as he possibly can. Oh, man. But uh, not that he will. Just keep it. Did you have thoughts on the vending machine scene? Because I know that you're always attuned to the vending machine. Um, oh, that's thinking. so true. That's so true. I am very attuned to vending machine scenes. That's a theme for me in this podcast. Well, one of the things I was thinking about is all of the, to that question about what are the signs of friendship and kind of all of the ways that Michael tries to build the friendship. And so there's the hanging out at the vending machines. And one of the things that struck me was the question he asks Jim, where it's like, you know, we're just kind of hanging out looking for a drink to buy. And he asks, you see the game last night? And Jim asks, which game? And Michael says, any of them. (laughs) So like he was speaking in the form or using the kind of ritual of a sort of male bonding, I guess, by asking about the game. But he was not an actual legitimate participant because he was not referring to anything. He was only using the form with no actual content, (laughs) which was great. And I'll say... I actually kind of envy people who can talk about sports because I feel like not just for um, talking to, well, yeah, maybe it would include talking to work or like talking to neighbors or just people that you run into. It is 
something where you can so quickly have common ground, right? able to really engage and have a conversation. And so I actually kind of envy the ability to talk about sports, not so much that I'm willing to watch sports right? because it's too boring. Like it's not worth the time investment, but I can see Michael's desire here to participate in that conversation. Did I ever tell you about the time in graduate school when I tried to get into baseball? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like in my first year of graduate school. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to watch baseball or listen to it. I was like, that's a thing people talk about. And like, maybe all of them have something to say. Yeah. Um, and also I was like, you know, that seems like a low, inv- low stakes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this lasted like one day, maybe where I was like, oh no, I don't give a shit. I can't, I can't even like fake interest in this. Um, but I, so I totally relate to that idea. I love that you wanting to have this kind of um un like un how to put it like non-controversial common ground or something like yes yeah I'm I'm not sure whether that still maintains you know given the sort of politicization of sports (laughs) I've been thinking about this in terms of popular culture like I always thought it was really like one thing that was really interesting about popular culture was that you could um you know, like strike up a conversation with somebody on the bus or the train about these, you know, about stuff that is like, it's meaninglessness is part of what gives, makes it possible that you can talk about it without, you're not talking about religion, not talking about politics, you're not talking about uh, your job, you know what I mean? It's this like kind of common thing that is light. Um, But then I, after like Star Wars became a way to recruit for like the alt-right or something I what? was like, I don't know about this oh yeah we should probably not talk about this <laughs> on the podcast research <laughs> but just oh, you know goodness. um in fact well no there are all these like you know well because there was like a huge backlash with the Star Wars episode whatever seven or something where it was like Um, there was a woman that was a main character and a, and a, and a black actor as a main character and, um, or a, a, a black actor playing a main role. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, and there was like, you know, like a racist misogynist backlash to that. Mm -hmm. But then also, um, they did this study of like all of these conversations about Star Wars on social media. And they found that like a great number of them or a great number of the, 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 discourses were being pushed by like Russian bots as a way to inflame um, divisions, political divisions in the United States. And so I think I've always thought it was really interesting that like this, you know, foreign power is like, how can we divide Americans? Like, uh, you know, not only it's going to be sexism and racism, but it'll be through Star Wars. It'll be through popular culture. So at that point, it felt to me like, oh, maybe maybe pop culture is no longer a thing that you can kind of just rely on for yeah. uh, conviviality or whatever, because it's so, it's such a marker of one's political commitments or something like that, or it's supposed oh, wow. to be That's, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so all of that is to say that, uh, yeah, Michael doesn't have anything to talk about other than P-A-M, <laughs> Pam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh yeah, um and he makes Stanley drink peach iced tea. <laughs> so vicious. Although I feel like peach iced tea to me sounds really good. 
Yeah, but so he hits because Stanley is taking too long to decide what drink he wants. Yeah, Michael presses the peach iced tea button and says, you're going to hate it. <laughs> so just to spite him. Because he's mad that that uh, that um, he thwarted this interaction with Jim. Is that it? Yes. He just he wanted him to get out and move on. And he was moving too slowly and not given a care. So. So Stanley's out with some peach iced tea and following that is when, wait, does he, do they first have the interaction with Dwight and then Michael asks him to lunch? Yeah. Cause he's there talking with um, Jim. He says, fact, you're drinking grape soda. You never drink grape yes. soda. Fact, you were talking to Jim. You never talked to Jim. Um, and he says, fact, Jim and I talk all the time. We tell each other secrets. It's such a kid, that's a kid logic too, right? Although right, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I do think about friends. Friendship is built through uh, a certain level of confession or disclosure, yeah. sharing of intimacy. That's actually so true. And Michael is actually right about that, about that being a sign of big friendship. And you're right that the, the language Michael gives it, we tell each other secrets definitely sounds like child friendship but you're right too that it is actually part of adult friendship yeah it's some kind of disclosure and some level of sharing things that are not public and that are not out for the whole office if you wanted to make a case that uh, michael has at least some homo social if not homo erotic desire here uh-huh. It certainly becomes evident when he says, um, hey, you know what we could do? We could spread out a blanket in the break room, have a little picnic order, some za. <laughs> Talk about you know who. And it's interesting because it's like his, Pam has become his way of getting close to Jim. Like, but he doesn't care about, yes. about Pam. He wants to have a picnic with his yes. bro. Um You're so right. It is one of those cases. Yeah. We're through like through a woman and through the ability to talk about a woman. It is about building intimacy between the two of them. Which brings us to (laughs) a kind of one-on-one closeness. I'll also say jump to this because it's related, but at the very end or almost at the end when my, when Jim goes into, um, Michael's office to kind of confront him and ask what happened with letting the secret out. And Jim ultimately ends up comforting him. And he says, you know, it's just one day it's going to be okay. And he goes over and kind of pats him on the shoulder. And then Michael hugs him from the side. So Michael's sitting in his chair and Jim is standing. And so Michael just kind of puts his arms around Jim's waist, which was also just such an interesting, um, interesting kind of move. Mm. It's sort of his way. It's like his legs. Like, you know, Jim is tall enough. It's kind of like around his hips and his legs. It's, it's just a really funny kind of, kind of closeness. Then they go to Hooters. Hooters. Oh, wait, one more thing I wanted to say about a sign of friendship, because this is when, oh, this is actually when Jim, when uh, Michael invites Jim to go to lunch and he goes over to talk to him and Michael puts his foot up on Jim's desk yes remember that like what signals do you think it sends like what kind of move is that to put your foot on someone's desk 
I guess he's tr- he's going for casual. Uh, <laughs> he's going <laughs> going for casual relaxation or whatever. But uh, yes. oh my god, it is so aggressively in gym <laughs> space. Um, and it does sort of put his crotch right at Jim's face, right? Kind of. It does. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's, it's funny because you're. I think it is so supposed to be casual and cool. It's kind of like in Diversity Day when he sits with his chair backwards. Yes. It's actually, unless you're very tall, it's not easy to get your foot up oh. onto a desk. So <laughs> there's nothing casual about it it's maybe it's and it's sort of in the vein of asking him about the games where it's all the kind of you know performing of those sort of elements of casualness and togetherness and connection and friendship that he doesn't actually have yeah, oh, also, and masculinity he wants to be yes, like a type of masculine like, friendship. like talk, todd packer like it feels like yeah. todd packer would put his foot up on the desk like that yeah yeah it does it does he also, let's just say before we get to Hooters, when he rearranges his hair, like when he messes oh, that was up the best combed back and it's all on his forehead. Doesn't he say like, I wear my hair like this sometimes. Um, yes, he does. It looks terrible. Okay. Um, this gave me chills watching that. I felt so like, oh, the cringe was rough. Um, but it also reminded me of being in first grade, I believe. Uh-huh. And there was a kid in school who got blue sneakers and mm. I really liked them. And I bought my own blue sneakers, but they were like not the same ones. And also mm-hmm. because I couldn't afford the Nikes or whatever. Um, and I showed up at school wearing my blue sneakers and like, um, immediately some other kid pointed out like oh did you get those shoes because so-and-so has those and I was like no (laughs) but of course the answer was like a hundred percent yes I am trying trying to figure out my identity through other people like oh it was so relatable and painful (laughs) oh that is so painful but isn't that really it feels like that also is part of friendship like Michael I don't know you know he does all of these things that look so absurd, but I also feel like there is, I don't know, some of that, like ways that you become more similar. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's the actively trying, you know, at a time of trying to be cool and have things that are cool and look cool and all of that stuff. But it feels like some of it is maybe also kind of like a a natural outcome of spending a lot of time together you know, talking in similar ways and dressing in some similar ways or wearing your hair. I don't know. I think no, I just totally. keep trying to find Michael's rightness in all of this where he's like, he's sort of getting it right, but also getting it so wrong. I think that that's, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this early on in the podcast, but like, I think you're reminding me like one aspect of what makes this show interesting and Michael in particular is like, yeah, that he's, he's a character who does not who like fundamentally doesn't understand how to do the social rituals of like masculinity in particular but like just human relating but he's like approximating it yeah he's also he's often approximating the most normative or regressive versions of it and so that's where a lot of the comedy comes from right is that we're able to sort of see 
how ridiculous these things are because he he's so bad at 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 mimicking them to seem natural Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess it's a kind of performative comedy um i certainly felt that way in hooters uh when he is just so cringy and inappropriate and i really loved the actress's performance um dana's performance when he's when he finally says i'm gonna have the gourmet hot dog and she's like great and like walks away (laughs) (laughs) and like sure on the one hand like michael is exceptionally um awkward but he's also probably not an exception right like i imagine lots of dudes go to hooters and act like this yes Um, anyway i don't know i've I've never been to a hooters have you been to one i have not been to a hooters Mm. one thing about that don't so you know michael has that interview where he's in the hallway like maybe after he's just gone to the bathroom or something like that and he says, why do I like Hooters? Well, I'll give you two reasons. The boobs and the hot wings. <laughs> and he laughs. And isn't kind of a thing about Hooters that people are supposed to say, I like it for the hot wings? Yes, right. Like it's supposed to say, right, that it's for the food, but Michael just straight up says what it really is. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I thought that interaction with the waitress, oh my gosh, he was just brutal. But it was interesting to see Michael entering another workplace with another group of people whose job it is to deal with the Michaels of the world. Yeah, this is, I mean, like to go back to another thread we've been pulling out, it's like Michael doesn't understand or see that there's a power dynamic in their relationship, like, or at least earlier, it's like he's manipulating Jim to go out to lunch with him by threatening yeah. his secret. Like, <laughs> and I, I don't know that he fully grasps that dimension or like how corrosive that is. Um, yeah. But he also is aware, you know, where he's like, I'm his boss actually. And I treat him well. I take him out to lunch because I can afford it and he can have whatever he wants. It's like, well, apparently you can't afford it. And, uh, <laughs> but like he is, he is aware of, there is a power dynamic. Also, can I just say it really annoyed me for some reason that Jim brought a ham and cheese sandwich. Then when he goes out to Hooters, he orders a ham and cheese sandwich. Mm -hmm. I was like, get, um, maybe he was really in the mood for ham and cheese. And I'm not saying that your homemade ham and cheese is going to be the same as the one that you're going to get a restaurant is going to be different for sure. But come on, dude, like eh, something else. That cannot be the best thing on the Hooters menu. Agreed. I just would find that to be an incredibly disappointing lunch. So I feel like it maybe shows that Jim is very, I don't know, is he predictable or sort of plain or something like that? Um, But really disappointing order. For some reason, I think it's hilarious that Michael orders the gourmet hot dog and that it's a gourmet hot dog i i don't know why that specification to just fancy up a hot dog a little bit um was funny do you like hot dogs i do i love hot dogs do you prefer a chicago style or do you like other versions i like any version yeah yeah pretty much i'm a big fan i'm flexible there's this there's supposed to be the chicago rule where you're not supposed to have ketchup on hot dogs Mm. which just doesn't really feel right as a rule. I don't know. I think I think you should have the ability to have ketchup or not have ketchup, but 
I actually even like them plain, like just in the bun with nothing on it. Mm, mm. You know, I just a pure hot dog purist. I'm a big fan of a hot. Now I want hot dogs. Um, now I want to go to Hooters and try the gourmet hot dog if that is on the menu. When he said, oh, let's go out for lunch, I really felt they were going to Chili's. I was uh-huh. so disappointed that it was Hooters. Um, I love the way that it sets that up because Mike <laughs> says, I know just the place. And yeah. then it comes to Hooters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that I would have a ton to say about Hooters, and I don't. I think that the episode is really smart in undermining Michael's infantile toxic masculinity. I think that, um, I don't know. I've never really understood Hooters as a concept, <laughs> but I also don't, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that the show sheds any light on it either. Um, yeah. Except that, yeah, like it's, it's, a it's, I don't know. It's just, yeah. It's just so funny how much talk about boobs there are in this show. Because like Michael says the best part of Pam is her boobs, right? Or something. Yes. And I don't know. There's just oh, like a gross. real Yeah, I don't know. I didn't I didn't know if you had thoughts yeah. on the oh, and then of course the Hooter girls do the dance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you put your front side in, you put your front side out. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One thing I did like is that they seemed the girls at Hooters seemed very nice. Like they were, like they were kind to Jim. Totally. I thought you know, the way Dana kind of is very warm to Jim about his fake birthday, and I was happy for Jim in that too because it seemed like a situation for him being with Michael, where you are with someone who is just brutal, and you know, like you can't get out of it so just like the pain and awkwardness and embarrassment of being with a michael at a place like hooters oh. so i was glad that dana was able to separate out the two of them mm-hmm. so yeah i felt like she handled michael really well and um the girls though still gave jim a good time and were kind to him so that was that was all good the boobs thing <laughs> so let me read what michael asks Jim. And so he's trying to have this conversation and build the bond between them. So he says, what do you like best about Pam? Is it her legs, her boobs? And then (laughs) Jim says, um, she's easy to talk to, I guess. And, uh, she's got a really good sense of humor. And then, you know, Michael's surprised because Pam doesn't get any of his jokes. And Jim asks, what about you? I'm not sure what he's asking, like what he's asking about, but Michael just jumps in and says her boobs, definitely her boobs. Right, 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 right. It does seem, you know, like you mentioned them going and having a picnic and sort of building their own relationship and their own kind of homosocial connection between them through talking about Pam. Does it seem like the celebration of boobs is one of those things that's like particular for a kind of I don't know, expectation of masculine bonding. So that yes. for Michael, you know, like asking about sports right. and being like, oh, let's go, let's go check out the babes at Hooters. Like those are the tools they can sort of use in order to build close, in order to become closer to Jim and not to become closer to any of those women. Right, right. Really. Well, I, it definitely, okay. So this is like, yeah, that's really interesting. I think it, the objectification of all of these women, um, but in this case also Pam, is like 
clear why a certain heteronormative and patriarchal culture is like you of course women and men can't be friends because like everybody yeah. be straight but also like the primary fact of women for men is their physical you know characteristics or whatever and I do think that I'm you know I'm just thinking back to like being very you know relatively young and a boy and like guys would talk about like other women's bodies as a way to sort of like bond together mm -hmm. um, in a way that felt to me, you know, I mean, partly out of all my kind of confused gender and sexuality or whatever, like, mm -hmm. but still felt like kind of gross and like also like in improper or impolite, you know, even then to me. Oh, and so yeah. I definitely like shied away from that kind of bonding um, for lots mm -hmm. of reasons, but I definitely think that's a thing. And like, um, and it's a weird, it, to me, it's very strange, <laughs> but like, I think you're onto something that like Michael is trying to do what is actually very normative and also toxic <laughs> masculinity. Yeah. Is, that makes me think, is Hooters actually like looking at women is part of it, but is it, is its ultimate goal in some ways more about the creation of a male bonding kind of space right and it really is about the interaction between men and women and at first so I'm, I'm wondering about this because I was thinking about it initially when I was watching it as sort of comparable to the many years when I worked at Starbucks mm. and there were lots of young women who worked there and you would sometimes get some really lonely men who would spend a lot of time there and there was one guy who it actually got particularly weird with. Um, but, you know, you go into a place and it's young women and they're very friendly and it's their job to be friendly to you. And it's like, it's fun to be nice to people, mm -hmm. you know, but that sometimes gets read in the wrong way. So I was sort of thinking about it as comparable to that. Yeah. But men don't it, like men really individually go to Starbucks. And I'm sure there, I'm sure that there's a clientele who goes alone to Hooters all the time, but it feels like it's one thing to go alone, but it's a really different thing to go with another man or a group of men. Right. Right. No, I think you're, I think that's really interesting and true that like, it is more about a social bond between straight cis men. And mm -hmm. that bond is cemented by like the kind of spectacle of looking at these women that yeah. you're all supposed to. I mean, it's kind of an interesting <laughs> concept, right? That like you're sharing an attraction, presumably, yes. right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that part of it is also, this is such a strange thing to think through, but it's like, I guess part of it is like the, but we don't see them sort of be like, oh, this one's hot, that one's not. It's not like they're assessing or evaluating individual women. Instead, it's sort of like they're all desirable. And we sh and clearly Jim and Michael would assume that they share the same desire or something like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of a weird idea, right? To sort of like be conceptually turned on by the same object. Mm -hmm. uh, and to sort of like be titillated together, but not yes. by each other, even though, you know. Yes, but yeah, <laughs> doing that 
communally. There's definitely, there's definitely something there. And it's making me wonder how different this would be if it was Michael and Todd Packer, because right. Jim is just, you know, totally alienated and embarrassed by all of this behavior. So it doesn't work. So Michael thinks that this is going to be a kind of bonding experience because of Jim, it fails. Um, but with another man, you can imagine it going much better. Would it work with any of the other men in the office? Like creed or kevin oh, kevin it would work well with kevin. yeah it's always interesting yeah. to me who he doesn't try to attach to like yeah but i think it's because it is you've always pointed out it's like he wants to be cool like jim is cool mm-hmm. um which is like a corrosive dynamic for friendships too right like yeah. it treats a friend as like a status object rather than a person that you're actually relating to uh-huh. Uh, but that is the only reason I'm friends with you is like, you're so cool and cooler than me. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, the I status over here is huge. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm putting it on my seat. I'm putting the podcast on my CV. I'm going to oh. be, you know, oh. but, um, you know, the other thing about Michael that I, we hadn't really like unpacked was, uh, he spent $80 at a magic shop. Tyler, I, this is exactly, I was <laughs> As you said, the other thing we haven't talked about, I was hoping you were going to say, you mean Michael's love for magic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what do you spend $80 on at a magic shop? All right. So you buy the quarter cigarette through the quarter trick. Do you think that costs $80? I don't know. I bet I could get it. I don't, I don't think you know the first thing about magic. I think it gets much more advanced That's than true. you are imagining. That's true. So let me... Let me read our our Michael interview into the record. Okay, so he says, he's explaining why his business card was taken away. Because Toby has said that he just recently got the Dunder Mifflin credit card back. Does he want to lose it again? So he's explaining why he lost it. He says, they took my card away because I spent 80 bucks at a magic shop. What they don't understand is that I bought the stuff to impress potential clients. So business related, right? So Michael, we learned that Michael loves magic. It is, I will say like $80 does seem like a really substantial investment in magic, which I think shows us that he's a serious magician. He's not like your cigarette through a quarter level magician. He means business and he thinks he can impress clients. Just the whole. He says, I love this too. He says, I put a cigarette through a freaking quarter and you know what, Toby? they almost bought from us. Like, <laughs> so it didn't work, but it was maybe. Why right. that the cigarette through the quarter is the only item he got? Is the only well, treat? It's unclear. Got? I'm sure he got other things, but he just he says. He upset, right? That he did that. <laughs> I hadn't I thought would, about that, yeah. I would imagine he bought other stuff. I agree. I don't think you could just, I don't think that trick would be $80, but. Yeah. Um, I do you remember if we get to see Michael do any magic later in the show? Because I really want that. I think some Michael magic will come back. Do you how do you feel about magic? I hate it. Oh, <gasps> say more. <laughs> Jen hates it too. And I love magic. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, how do they do that? <laughs> oh god, I don't know. It just <laughs> 
you're I will telling say, me we're never gonna bond we're never gonna go to a magic show together just as bros and like you know bond over the can you believe they sold her in half kind of thing yeah we're never gonna bond over magic oh man i will say a favorite character of mine is job in uh, arrested development <laughs> yes it was a magician but it's insists that we not call the magic tricks they're illusions illusions um yeah. <laughs> i don't know why but illusions they just don't really interest me which is probably honestly a sign that i have not seen a great magician eh. i'm willing you know i'm willing to be open to the possibility that i'm wrong about this but i don't know maybe it's also just the whole vibe of magic like the hat and the cape i don't know it's just not my style tell me about your love of magic though i think i do love this about you i do think uh i don't know i like i like a trick i like i like that i don't know how it works you know (laughs) and um and i like being i like trying to think through like okay how could that how could you how do you do that? How could you do that? You know? Yeah. Um, so part of it, I guess, is just like the kind of like uh, speculation or, you know, like what would be the the form or whatever that would enable yeah. this to work. But I do think too, there is also this childish delight in like something I don't understand, you know, that seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but having watched a lot of magic in a brief period of time, <laughs> uh, when was this brief period (laughs) um well for like a a few maybe it was a couple years ago or whatever do you remember that um there was a hulu special (laughs) wow wow (laughs) wow you know what we're not cutting this out of the podcast i want people to hear you laughing at my (laughs) just shaming me straight up i'll apologize Um, next week Um, I guess the secret of the was my that love of magic. Anyway, I think his name was Derek Delgadio or something like that. Anyway, he had it was like a mix of kind of performance art meets magic show meets like oh I'm gonna I'm so like, please keep going. I really am interested. I'm gonna make <laughs> I'm real oh wow. Anyway, whatever. I really am. No, please it's like a one-man show, and he kind of talks about it, it it's it's a story, but it's called in and of itself, and like it's very much about subjectivity and and whatever. Anyway, I got I really liked this performance, and it was and it, it made me just like want to watch a bunch of magic specials or whatever on YouTube. <laughs> I watched a ton of that Penn and Teller show. <laughs> You're like laughing at me so hard. It's so sweet. <laughs> but the point is that like after watching a ton of magic, you realize like, oh, it really is just like four different things it over and over and over and over and over again, just in different really? forms. So it's like there are only so many different ways to do card tricks. There's only so many ways to make something disappear and reappear. You know, it's like it's a set of conventions. Anyway, yeah. I, I've talked too long you, about this. You learned the conventions, you've learned the form. <sighs> I mean, magic is amazing. When I do see those things, it is mind blowing. I, I don't have any sense. Don't patronize me. I, I don't even feel like I can get to the point though of trying to understand how those things are done. Um, but they just, they just don't interest me. I think we're realizing as this podcast goes along that mm-hmm. the reason the show makes me cringe is that I'm too much like Michael Scott. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't like this anymore. I think I'm quitting. Yeah, you don't like seeing yourself reflected in this. 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I've got, I'm realizing one thing, this is just before the magic, uh, but that we missed that I just wanted to point out. And this is when, I guess this is kind of interesting too. So this is back to Hooter, the Hooters thing. We talked a lot about how it is supposed to bond men, but there was another point about what it does between men and women. And that's when Jim walks back into the office and Pam asks um, where, what they talked about. And Jim, I think she asked maybe where they talked about and what they talked about and where they went. Mm -hmm. And Jim says, politics, literature. And he just lifts up and kind of flashes the Hooters shirt. And I just loved that combination of his sort of high culture references to what he discussed and then just the quick showing of the shirt and Pam, you know, rolling her eyes or whatever. They really do have chemistry and they it's really interesting. Do. I really like the scene where he tries to forestall her discovery of, or, you know, of his yes. craft, whatever. It, yes. It's just, I thought it was like really good writing and really good acting and mm -hmm. very, very, very charming when, yes. um, uh so he says it's seriously it's totally not a big deal okay and when i found out you were engaged i mean and he doesn't i mean it's such great writing because he doesn't really finish it and she's like no i no i like i kind of like i thought that maybe you did when i first started yes um so then she says are you going to be totally awkward around me now oh yeah yeah i hope that's okay it's just so um charming and it's a nice way of showing how they grapple with earnestness um, mm -hmm. but this does beg for me a couple of questions I was hoping you could illuminate, even though, um, uh, I'm just still totally embarrassed about my love of magic being <laughs> dividing us so much, but Turns out you were outed on this episode. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Number one, um, what does Pam know and not know? Because when she's saying, no, I kind of thought maybe you did when you first started, does she really, does she mean that genuinely, or does she know that he still likes her because then when she talks to Michael, she does seem genuinely surprised and confused. Michael said, or Michael says, it wasn't that long ago. It was on the booze cruise. And she says, Jim had a crush on me in the booze cruise, or he told you about it on the booze cruise. I was confused because I thought he didn't say, oh, I still have a crush on her. Did he? Like how explicit was he in that last or two episodes ago, I can't remember. But all of that is to say, then they get on the elevator together and the look, the glances back and forth, uh, even though, yes, it's a little cliche, like getting in the elevator and look, it was just so um, neat. I don't know, intense, yeah. sweet, charming yeah. as a way to sort of have this, you know, the, 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 the uncertainty of what she's feeling. But I was kind of curious, what do you think? Is she... What does she know? Tyler, I'm realizing this might be like your desire to understand magic. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> I think this might be information we do not have access to. <laughs> but I definitely thought that she was, like definitely had some kind of happiness about it because when, like as they're walking to the elevator, Jim kind of picks picks her up like you know to walk out together yeah. so he's walking by she jumps on and she's right just slightly behind him and the way that she looks at him is just so happy and hopeful so mm -hmm. she does not seem to be 
you know, cringing or uncomfortable or something like that. It seems like there's a sort of sweetness there for sure. I wanted to say too about the quotes you read from Pam, a thing I really enjoy about the writing is the way, like there were several likes in there. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, I hope you're not going to be like totally awkward around me now. I like the way that that captures how people actually speak and especially when you're kind of uncertain it reminded me this is a really weird connection (laughs) but I like things that attempt to capture how people actually speak and here's the weird connection it's on back to the Christmas episode you know how on tv shows they so often don't actually wrap the full gift they wrap the lid and they lift the oh, lid yeah and that infuriates me yes because yes. no one that is not how you wrap presents and that is not how you open presents upon further reflection i thought maybe they do that because they're going to have to do multiple takes or something and they want to put it on and off but to me that's just laziness it's ridiculous it's like when people on shows like the Gilmore Girls, for example, are always walking around with cups of coffee that don't have coffee in them. Yeah, and yeah. you can tell. So that turned into more of a rant than I thought. But what I wanted to say was that I really, really appreciated in the Christmas episode how that teapot and the other gifts were actually wrapped and they had to actually tear them open. I love that point. And, and yeah, there is an authenticity to the dialogue, to some of these things that is... Um... Yeah, I mean, I do think that that's part of the charm of the show, or the let's call it the magic uh, trick call it of the, the show. It's how it creates, it makes artifice seem uh, authentic. I yes. also noticed how close Pam was standing next to Jim in that elevator. By the way, she was. She was standing uh, like right next to him, and I was like, "All right, all right, I see." Mm-hmm. But yeah. I guess my question for you is not so much. She's definitely like pleased. She's not freaked out. But is it the kind of please where you're like, oh, nice. Like, I still got it. Somebody has a crush on me. Or is it like, oh, cool. Now I can break up with my fiance and like um, hop on the gym train. Oh, God. Gym train. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Is it maybe somewhere in between? No, those are your only two choices. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Because there are... She's flattered. She clearly clearly has a very strong connection to him. Right. And feels very positively about him. And I feel like it just is complicated for her. Yeah. I don't know. I think she feels you don't want to blow up your life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it is a blow up your life kind of kind crack of crush. Yeah. Decision. Yeah. Or I think that's at least how she feels what she feels like it would be. So um, do you have a Dundee of the week? I have a Dundee and I got to tell you, Tyler, it was easy for me this time. Fascinating. Really? Really. This week's Dundee is the Heartbreak Award and it goes to Jim. And it does for several reasons because he is heartbroken, because he is heartbreaking He had so many beautiful, sad faces in this episode. I felt like the range of emotion that we got, I think we saw the skill there as an actor for John Krasinski, but he just had these 
sad, vulnerable faces. And I found that so incredibly endearing. So he's heartbroken, he's heartbreaking, and he's a heartbreaker in an attractive sense because, you know, we like to see, we like to see that vulnerability. We like to see the insecurity. And I felt like that came out in a really, really compelling way this time. I love that. I, um, I had a tough time picking a Dundee this week. I certainly thought about Dana, the, um, Hooters, uh, waiter who, um, good. deftly deals with, uh, Michael. Um, I have to say, a, a dark horse Dundee for me was going to be Dwight. And I was going to argue, what if he actually is like he is aware that Oscar and Gil are dating. He just doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. it's not relevant to his thing. And so I was going to give him like the open-minded tolerance award or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, I uh, didn't feel like he really earned it. Um, but so I, I feel like, uh, you know, the way I wanted to go with it is for the, um, for the, uh, uh, um, how do I, what do I call it? The, um, the non-representation representation award to Oscar, um, for, uh, for, uh, you know, um, uh, for ditching the spring cleaning and taking care of himself, having some self-care. Um, and, uh, and then also like, I really like that he doesn't then at least so far have to take on the burden of like representing all queer people or something like that. He's just a dude who happens to be queer, who, uh, didn't want to go to work today. <laughs> so, uh, cheers to you, Oscar. Um, uh, congratulations. Nice. So next time we will be talking about the carpet. yes we will (laughs) is this a classic is this a good one (laughs) this is an interesting one (laughs) it is very memorable oh all right yeah we've got a lot of talk a lot to lot to talk about um want to tell them our facebook or yeah no we don't have facebook our twitter and our uh, instagram yeah on instagram you can follow us uh and message us at office underscore hours underscore podcast and on Twitter, you can uh, tweet at us, um, office underscore HRS underscore pod. So send us your questions, your comments, your feedback. And as always, you can rate and review us too, right? On uh, yeah, Apple do. Podcasts and elsewhere. So we appreciate your positive feedback. I'm, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm also very curious who people are who are actually listening to us other yes. than our family. <laughs> um and our very close friends so yeah please let us you know dm us or message us and let us know we're very curious who you are and how you found the show and why you're interested yeah yeah we really appreciate everybody listening thank you so much thank you Bye. bye